this morning we're going to look at the God of restoration. And I, I think it's so important that we realize that because I think one of the number one tactics of the enemy is if he can discourage you, if he can get you pulled off to yourself and all alone, and there's a whole lot of people I do believe in this hour that we're in to, today that they've not been able to be in the house of the God or they've not came to the house of God, and they're off to themselves. And the enemy, if we don't watch, if we don't keep ourselves stirred up, if we don't keep ourselves on our knees, we'll find ourselves weak, we'll find ourselves vulnerable. It is in those times that we're most vulnerable. And we need to know that God is the one who has everything in His power. He can do anything. He's, under, he's got it all under control. If we could just trust Him and give Him everything, and we lean on Him and not our own selves, We'll find victory and we'll find that He can even turn things around to be a blessing that you thought was a curse. There's things you can go through and I'm telling you that He can take the biggest curse of your life and He can turn it to a blessing. You think, say, well, no, you don't know my circumstances. I don't have to know. I know God's big enough. He works everything out. We're going to look at somebody who thought he was being cursed and cursed and cursed. He thought he was going to be blessed. He was promised to be blessed. But we see that he keeps having bad things happen. It's kind of like Joseph. Kept having blessings promised and then bad, 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 bad. Twelve years of bad. But then all of a sudden one day God brought him out and said, See, I got it under control. I turned that curse into a blessing. I know what I'm doing. We're going to look at that in David's life this morning. So glad you came. And I hope, I hope this can help someone this morning. The God of restoration. If you've got your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to read, uh, I'm going to read through, we're going to cover all the first 19 verses, but I'm going to read 1 through 8 and then 16 through 19, and then we'll fill in in the middle. It says in verse 1, And it came to pass when David and his men were come down to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captives that were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men were come to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives. Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Abimelech's, or Himelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod and Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Praise the Lord for that word of, of, of encouragement from the Lord. He wouldn't have got it if he hadn't went to him. And verse 16 says, and when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from twilight even to the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men, which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all 
that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and there was nothing lacking to them, neither great nor or small nor great, neither son nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. All we serve a God of restoration, do we not? Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and God, we're encouraged in you, Almighty God, that Lord... I don't care what we go through, Lord. You're on the throne. I don't care what the enemy throws at us. You're still on the throne. And God, you work good in our life. And you're trying to move and work. But God, the enemy wants to discourage people to turn their back on you. And God, you're saying, don't give up faith. Hang in there because I'm a God of restoration. I can do mighty things if you'll just let me. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this. Holy Spirit, that you would speak and you would minister to us, Lord, in this altar today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. The God of restoration. We, we, the Lord puts these things in here. The, the reason these, these stories, these wonderful testimonies of God's faithfulness is not just for David. Because David got what he needed right then. It's so that you and I can see how, who we serve. And see that this applies to you today. You serve the same exact God. If you look at David's life to get the real picture. If you want to really understand how important and how hard this was on David. You've got to do a quick tour through, through his life. Real quick. Uh, I'm going to jump till he's about scripture. Some of the historical uh, uh, writers say that David was probably between 11 and 15. The day that... that uh, Samuel's come down and is going to anoint the new king. And Saul's turned his back on him and, uh, and not lit from the very beginning. He's messed up. And so God's going to bring somebody in after his own heart. And so he, they narrow it down to Jesse's family. And so he has Jesse brings all of his sons from his oldest all the way down to, except for his youngest guy, little boy that's out in the field tending. It couldn't be him, of course. He's not even thinking about him. And he brings the six other brothers through and he walks past them and the Lord doesn't confirm it's any of them. And he's like, I don't understand. Is there, you got another son somewhere? Because this is, oh yeah, I've got one more. I've got the run of the family. The youngest is out in the field. Go get him. We ain't sitting down and he gets there. And so he goes and gets him. He brings him. And the moment he walks on the scene and he comes before Samuel, the Lord says, there's the man. That's the one right there. And so David, can you imagine how surprised he was as a 11, 12, 13-year-old, and all of a sudden somebody pours oil over his head and says, you're anointed king of Israel. I mean, God's got his hand on you, son. Well, that, that was pretty exciting. I mean, I can imagine as a 13-year-old, if I was thinking about, you know, getting to rule or something, I always wanted it. When I was a 13-year-old, I loved playing like I was in the military and everything like that. And I, I didn't ever, I always thought I would go, but I didn't. But I, I would have loved to thought I would have had a position of king, you know. It would have been awesome. And so it must have been exciting. But from that moment forward, it seemed like the Lord gave him victories. He, we see him shortly thereafter. We see him, of course, with the line in the field. He's training him. By, there's struggles that you're going to go through in your life. The Lord is using them to train you for what he's got for your life. You're going to go through some things in your life, and you think, oh, Lord, why could you use this? You'll find out later. God has got even some of the hard things you go through. God has put it there to use you to, you to be a testimony or strength or wisdom or a, something to help someone else. Whatever it is, God puts us through things. One, trust Him. Two, to use it for future advancement. So we see that the, He had him in the field and the bear came. And here this young boy, I mean, try, if you were like me, if a bear comes, he can have a sheep. I'm, <laughs> I'm more important. 
And so, but he, he was willing to, and, and the Lord was training him up to be a leader and, and to be a, a mighty a leader and a warrior. And he grabbed, he chases the bear down. Another time a lion comes, boy, I ain't messing with no lion. And he just chases him down and grabs him by the, I mean, you got to be face to face to do this. He grabs him by the beard and slays him. I mean, wow. So God's training him up. And so he's probably thinking, Lord, why did, later he's probably thinking, why did I do that? That's crazy. But Lord was training him up. And then we see that the Lord is training him up for the next thing. All of a sudden, this Goliath, this, this giant. Now, the average, I, I think I told you recently, the, the average uh, Israelite at this time was between 5'1 and 5'7. So David wasn't a big guy. He, was, he wasn't a real big guy. And, we, and, of course, we know Saul, head and shoulders above all of them. So, but we see David wasn't a big guy, and he comes against a guy in five foot something, nothing and comes up to a guy that's almost twice his height, nine foot, nine and a half, Goliath standing there that's just, I mean, he's coming to his knees. I mean, it's, but he, that same spirit that he felt in the field is used to say, you defy my God. And I, 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 my God, he knew God was the one that was going to take care of it. And he wasn't worried about it. He felt that spirit rise up in him, and he charged at him with a stone. This guy is covered from head to foot with everything. In the world. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. But it was an impossible task that he faced. And the Lord delivered him with one little stone to show how powerful he was. And for, but from that moment on, we see that he... Uh, the king had promised him all this prestige and money and his daughter to wife and different things. And we see that the, even though that Saul seen how great and loved David because he was a powerful warrior to, to fight in battle, he also quickly seen that he was a threat to his own throne. He also seen that he was a threat for even his son to take his throne. Because why? He seen the anointing of God upon David's life. He seen how God blessed him and used him. And he was so much, and people loved him so much. And we see that all of a sudden he started resisting him. And he started fighting against him. In fact, he's trying to kill him. And he, and so, and he, was, he was his own son-in-law. And he was trying to kill him. So we see that the word of God tells us, and you, this is true. You can believe every word that's in the word of God. We've seen this before. Romans 8, 28 tells us that, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are, who are called according to His purpose. All things. Lord, you, you must be talking about the good things. No, no, no. It says here, all things. God, if we are called, if we are God's children, then he's able to take the good and even the bad and work it toward our good. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we have to say, God, I can't wait to get to the good part. I can't wait to get to the good part because it's hard. And David went through this. He went through, if you start reading his life, he went through one bad thing. He's running for his life. He, he's, he's trying to do right. He's trying to be good to Saul. He loves Saul. He's playing his harp. And, and, and Saul realizes what a, a threat he is. And he takes us, and he's a, a, he's a very skilled warrior. And he takes his javelin, he throws it. And David's able to duck and it hits the wall right where his head had been or where his chest had been. And, he's, and over and over, his life is called into question. And so David must have been asking himself, he's remembering. He's remembering over and over. Lord, you said you're going to put me on the throne. Look what I keep going through. David probably didn't feel like things were working for his good when he had to defend himself from Saul who kept trying to kill him. He probably didn't feel like things were working for his good when he found himself running in the wilderness for his very life. He probably didn't think that things were really going to work out for his good when Saul gave his wife to another man. He probably wasn't thinking that things were working out for his best when his very best friend, Saul's son, Jonathan, had to tell him in, in uncertain terms by shooting that arrow 
David, you've got to leave and run for your life because my dad's going to kill you. He didn't even want to believe that, but he finally realized that his father had purposed that he was going to kill him and he had to be separated from his best friend for life because of the fact that, and it didn't feel like, God, what are you doing? You promised me all these things. And then we finally see him right here when this scripture's written. It has gotten so bad that David has had to flee for help to this king of Gath, the Philistine king. What is significant about Gath? That's where Goliath was from. The very king that was over Goliath that he killed, which would have been somebody who would have been terrified knowing that you would, they would probably be trying to seek vengeance. That was his greatest warrior, and I killed him. And he runs to him for protection. He finds himself in this horrible situation. And it seems like the, that God, have you forgot about me? I remember is that this is 15, about 15 years later. And we see that he's probably, Lord, I've been through so much. It's hard. Sometimes he's probably even doubting, Lord, did that really happen? Did that really happen? Do you really have a plan for my life? What's going on? But where we find him out here, finally, he has without, he's not having to fight against his own people, but the other kingdoms that's fighting against the Philistines. David has proved himself to be faithful to this king, and he's earned some confidence with him. And he's given him a city called Ziklag. Ziklag's name means winding road, winding path. And we see, isn't life that way sometimes? It'd be nice if we could just go straight to the good stuff. But sometimes we have to take this winding path to get where God's trying to get us. And he's wanting us to build confidence and faith in him. I'm about to get there, I promise. So we see that David has found himself, and he's got 600 faithful men who's fought and, and brave and powerful men that has been faithful to him, and they've been through a whole lot. And we see that they're in Ziklag, and they have their own city, and their families is there. They finally got houses that's theirs. They're not worried about Saul killing them in Ziklag. They finally have a little bit of peace, and it seems like things are kind of turning up. But all of a sudden, one day, David gets a call from the king, and he says, come, come line up to battle. And when he comes to line up, who are they getting ready to fight against? Saul. Jonathan, his best friend. Israel is lined up on the other side. And these Philistines are lining up to battle. And he's got David in the rear. And he's calling his 600 men to be part of this battle. Can you imagine? It doesn't tell us, but I can't imagine what David's going through in his mind. He's freaking out, no doubt, because he realizes. We see him just early, a few chapters earlier. He's, he had to repent. He repented because he even cut part of the garment of Saul. Because he was showing him, I could have killed you and I didn't. And he cut a piece of it to be able to hold it out and say, see, I had an opportunity to kill you and I didn't. And it, got, it had an impact. But he felt guilty that he even touched the, the anointed of God. And now he's being called to go across the lines to kill him. He could actually be facing his best friend face to face. What a horrible situation. Well, it looks like God's turned the favor his direction, because the rest of the Philistine lords that's lining up to battle sees he's behind them and says, what do you think you're doing to the king? What are you doing? Well, he's been faithful to me. He's, no, let me tell you what's going to happen. He's going to turn, and what way is he going to be able to restore himself to his old king is with the heads of your men. You get him out of here. We don't want him anywhere, and he sends him back home. He thought, well, Lord, you bless me again, no doubt. He probably, it took three days to get back. They probably was excited about what God was doing. I can imagine him thinking about, oh, I can't wait to get home tonight and get back in my bed. I can't get, wait to get home and, and kiss my wife and hug my kids. And I just can't wait to get back. We didn't have to do that. We were spared. And they were all excited, no doubt, till they made that last hill probably before they got to Ziklag. Yeah. 
And when they made that last hill, they seen something had happened. That terror filled their heart because everything that they had was gone. There was ember still probably burning, a little smoke still going up in the sky. Not one soul was left in the city, not one possession. Their homes were gone. Every possession, everything they had was gone. And they weeped. And everybody was impacted, including the king. He understood how horrible this was. Everything we own is gone. We don't even know who did it. We don't know what direction they went. And we don't know how long they've been gone. But we have lost everything. It got so bad, it says they wept until they couldn't even cry anymore. You ever been that bad? You cry until you can't even have tears come out anymore. You are empty. And that's where they found themselves. And then I think David looked over and he seen some of his most dearest, closest friends that had followed him through thick and thin. He sees them with tears still in their eyes. And they've got rocks in their hands. They're, they're wanting to kill him. He realizes that he's in a bad spot. He realizes this is, this is more serious than when Saul had a spear. But what did he do? Today we're going to look at the things that David did that you can do in your life, that you can find that God is a God of restoration. He can take your worst situation and he can turn it around and he can bless you to where he can show you that I had it under control the entire time. Everything you go through. I've got it under control. I'm going to work. I'm going to do it if you just trust me. But the temptation is just to fall back in our own strength, to give up on God. That's the moment that the enemy's whispering in your ear, turn you back on God. He don't love you. He doesn't care. He's not watching out for you. He doesn't think you're important enough. All those lies that the enemy has will come in your mind at that very moment, and that's when you're the most vulnerable right there. The question is, what do we do when we get down and we're broken and we're crying out to God? And no one maybe even knows what we're going through, but God does. And so when we come to those situations and our heart is broken, you can learn that God is a God of restoration when you rely on, number one, His strength. Not your strength. Your strength is insufficient. How many, has, like me, is getting a little older and, and, and it don't take long to figure this out. Your strength is not what it used to be. <laughs> it's not what it used to be. I like to sit down a lot more than I used to. I, I used to, my leg doesn't bounce as much as it used to. I used to drive people crazy with that. Uh, but I, I, I don't, I'm not as excited about jumping in the middle of something. I put a little more thought into something as I used to. I'm not like dad. I don't climb out on the roof in the middle of the night or the day and when I shouldn't be and, and get hurt. I think about things a little more. Now, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, but I find myself with a little less. I realize I have a limit to my strength. And I don't care how young you are. Some of you teenagers, they feel like they have unlimited strength. But I can tell you there's a limit to that too. There's a limit to our strength because we, have, we, we can't do what we're this battle we're fighting. We can't fight it in the flesh. How do we find his strength? By running into his presence. When your heart's broken, when your heart is broken, you've got to run into his presence. Verse 6 says, and David was greatly distressed. He was overwhelmed with what's going on. For the people spake of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. You can imagine. These men were all so hurt. And who could they blame? Nobody else but David. In fact, they were probably saying, you're the very one that took all 600 of us and didn't leave one man in this town to take care of our wives and our children. And because of that decision, we've been following you. And look what it's cost us. It would cost us everything. Sometimes that's the same lie that the devil will tell you about God. Look what we've been doing. We've been following you and serving you. And look what it's cost me. Everything. 
Well, we don't realize what we're saying sometimes because what God is going to do is he's going to show us that he had everything under control. But we, David finds himself in a spot to where he doesn't know what to do and he doesn't have the strength in himself. He's weak just like they are. But what does he do? This isn't so paramount. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. It'd be worth underlining in there. But it says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. They were talking of killing him. He's lost it all. It seems like everything, he's cursed because God promised stuff that he's never got to see yet. And now he's made it, it's the worst as it possibly could be. And still, when things go bad, he hits his knees. And he says, Lord, they can kill me or whatever they want to do, but I'm coming to you. And that word, that word encourage is strengthened. That word means strengthened. He came and got on his knees before God and got strength. That was not his own. That's the one thing you need to realize is that it's not your strength. Your strength will fail you. You will not be able to overcome in your strength. God promises strength and power to those who come to his presence. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31 says, And he giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall fail and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Where do we, how do we get through these things? Is we come to Him for our strength. I couldn't tell you the numerous times that I've come before God and just weep and say, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. Let me tell you something. A week, a year ago, a week, a year ago, February, when Dad had his accident, when I came over here, I did a lot of that because it was a little overwhelming to me. It really was. It was a little overwhelming. And some of the things that we were, not only in the family, dealing with, you know, because that was a rough situation, and then having, you know, a full-time job, and then it made me respect Dad a whole lot more. And then you, you have a flock, and you've got to, to step in. You don't know what you're doing. And I'm telling you, it was, I mean, the time I was here, those hours before you got here, it was me saying, God, I don't know what, I can't do this. You've got to help. And he came through. He came through, and He always does. If we run into His presence, He helps us. He strengthens us. And, of course, one of the greatest uh, discouragements, or one, one of the greatest disturbance, one of the greatest weapons the enemy uses in your life is discouragement. He wants to discourage you. He wants to lie. How many times? Do you think that, that Joseph didn't get discouraged in 12 years? Do you think that... Uh, and, and throughout that Abraham waiting 25 years to see the promise that God had promised him to be, uh, 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 have children as the, as the sand on the sea or the stars in the sky. And he's gone 25 years and he's not seen that happen. But God is faithful and he comes through in a mighty way. He will always come through. So we can find and see that God reveals himself as a God of restoration when we rely on his strength. And next, we see that what did he do? He, we rely on his direction, his wisdom. By putting our faith and trust in him. Verse 8 tells us about that. And David inquired at the Lord. And David inquired after the Lord. He came to God for wisdom. One of the greatest mistakes that we ever make is when something happens to us. And the first thing we do is do what feels right. Do what seems right. Because there's things that seems right that ain't right. 
And you'll find out quickly that we make a mistake. But David was in a quandary. Inside of him, he had a desire. Lord, I want my family back. Lord, I, these enemies, it's came, these are your people. These are your children. And they've come and they've stolen from you as well as us. I know he wanted to do something about it. But he didn't just say, that's got to be God's will. Have you ever done something like that? Well, that's got to be God's will. And you just charge into something until you find out that wasn't God's will. And then you have to back up and you get where David got smart enough to start with. He encouraged himself. He got strength in the presence of the Lord. And then he got in the presence of the Lord and he asked for wisdom, direction in his life. God, what do you want me to do? You got a job coming up. What do you want me to do? You got a big decision in your life of who you, you know, who you date, marry, uh, 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 people that, anything, whatever decisions in your life. Lord, what do you want me to do? That's what we need to learn. And he had learned that, that secret somewhere out in that field. He learned to talk to God and get help. In fact, James 1.5 tells us, if any of you lack wisdom, how many like me says, I need wisdom. Lord, all week long, I need wisdom. It's, what do we do about this? It says, let him ask of God. That giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. God is not going to be prejudiced. He's going to give. You come to him and you're sincere before him and you ask for wisdom. God will come through for you. And so that's what he did. We need divine direction in this country today more than ever before. We need the divine direction of God to move in this situation that we're facing today. We need the move of God and wisdom of God of how we are. this political scene is the most uh, caustic that it's ever been. We need the, the total direction of God in revival. And we will get that only when we call on Him. Isaiah 26, 3 says, Thou will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. He will keep you in perfect peace. You can be going through the worst thing of your life. And you'll have to say, Lord, why have I feel peace in my heart? Why do I not feel fearful? Why? Because I got it. I'm the one that's got it under control. I'm the one that's in charge. I will put my hands around you and you can have perfect peace if we trust in the Lord. You know, this is not the only time that David ever done this exact same thing. We see that he did this even after he becomes king. We see that almost immediately, and this is the way the devil will do, of course, as soon as he becomes king, the Philistines hears about it and they're coming to get him. I mean, we put you up and we took care of you and you're the king and over all the, of all Judah and Israel, and they came after him. And they tried to attack, and he could have, and these are the Lord's enemies. So in yourself, you would think, yes, of course, I'm supposed to go to battle with them. And so he comes to the Lord, and he asks him in 1 Chronicles chapter 14, what should he do? Should we go out to battle? Should we, what should we do? Should I charge out? What should I do, Lord? I mean, sometimes when you're a powerful warrior, it's, you want to do things your way. But David was smart enough to say, God, I don't care how strong I am. I want to do it your way because your way is perfect every time. And God gave him something that was different than he would have ever thought of. It says in 1 Chronicles 14, 15, and 16, And it shall be, and this is God speaking, When thou shalt hear a sound of going, that word's talking about marching. When you hear the sound of marching going in the tops of the mulberry trees, they're behind the mulberry trees. Then that, or that then shall, uh, thou shalt go out to battle, for God has gone before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. What was the marching that they're hearing? It was God on the move. They're standing back and he said, no, listen, you, you've got some strength and so forth, but hey, you ain't nothing compared to me. I want you to stand back and cover. 
You stand back and let me go before you. And that's what's going to make the difference. In verse 16, David therefore did as God commanded him, and they smote the host of the Philistines from Gibeon even to Gazer. Oh, God gave him the victory. Why? Because he had someone. Why was David a man for his own heart? Because he was someone who sought after his heart. He was someone who desired his heart. He wanted to please him. He wanted to follow him. And so we see we need his direction. We need his wisdom. And we need it today more than ever. So we need to, one of the ways to find the restoration of God is to rely on his strength and his direction. Do you know what? He'll also give you his favor if you'll lean on him. His favor. All the Lord can give you favor. Have you ever had God go before you, give you little things that you can tell, oh, that's just a little nugget, a little good thing that God's done for me. You can just see. He leaves little tokens around. He gives you little pieces of stuff to let him see the path that you're on. It's what he laid. It's almost like we're going to see. It's almost like a breadcrumb trail that says you just follow this path, and when you get to the other side, blessings waiting on you. We see. Now, what we've already seen, by the way, if you when we read that scripture, verse 3, I think, is the one's talking about. Remember this verse that said, we read that said that, Whenever they went, the, the Amalekites took the people. It said they took all the women, great and small, and they took them all, and not one person was killed. Well, that's already the favor of God because these were ruthless men. They, these were ruthless men. In fact, it was, the, it was the very plan of God. God was going to restore everything, and so he protected them. He said, listen, these Malachites thought they were in charge, but God had it under control the whole time. They didn't have anything that God didn't have his hand around. And so as they walked out of that city thinking they had gotten the best of, of Ziglag and Judah, they didn't realize God was right there in that situation and the very fact that they didn't kill him. So his favor was already on them on that. But we see that he also gave them favor. The verses I didn't read was where they go and, they, and the Lord told them to pursue. And so they're going toward battle and they come. And it looked like it was even, they come up to the brook and, and I think Bezor or something. And they come to the brook and they're so exhausted because they've already had a three-day journey. They've already wept till they have no strength. And now they're pursuing somebody that's already got a three-day head start on them. And they come to the brook, and they have only 600 men, period. 200 of them are so weak, they can't even cross. So they leave their stuff, their extra stuff with them, and they tell them to stay and protect the stuff. So now 400 men, almost sounds like a Gideon situation, 400 men cross over. And they, as they cross over, they're going through a field, and they find a man, young man laying out in the field. He's at the point of death. This, man, this young boy was a, uh, a young man that was an Egyptian who turns out was a servant to one of the Amalekites. And he got sick. He fell sick three days before. And they just left him to die in the field. He's sitting there to where they couldn't even get him to speak until they gave him water, until they gave him figs, they gave him grapes, they gave him whatever. We just need to get this guy's strength back because this guy may hold the key to what we need to know. And he did. And he said to them, and he was able to speak, and he told them his whole history, where they'd been, and told them, we just burned Ziglag with fire. And they said, will you bring us down to where these men are? And he says, if you'll promise me before God that you will not kill me and you will not hand me over to my master, I'll take you to him. Is that the favor of God? They had no idea where they'd went. They had no idea how to find these men, but he was going to lead them right into the camp. God will give you His favor. God will give you His blessing if you'll just put your trust 
on Him. We see that the Lord is the one who fights our battles. We see that in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This one, one of these awesome stories of King Jehoshaphat. He's facing an army that we've talked about before that is so great that there is no way that he can fight them. There's just no way. He does not have the capability to defeat this army that's coming against him. There's three kingdoms that's coming against him. And they have no time to prepare. And the words come before them, surrender, you're going to die. And so he puts it before the Lord. And they just fall before the Lord and say, God, you are the God above it all. We have no power against this fast army. What are we going to do? Because we're trusting in you. What are you going to do? And verse 15 says, and he said, hearken ye. This is the Lord's answer to him. Hearken ye, all ye Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. Oh, what a wonderful line this is. For the battle is not yours, but God's. This ain't even you. They're not coming against, they're coming against me. They think that they can come against my name. They think that they can come. And I'm going to show them how powerful I am because you're not going to do anything. They come against him. Verse 17 says, And you, ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Boy, that was good news. Set yourselves. Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. For tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Praise the Lord. He's going to come through. But all of a sudden, fear hits their heart. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Lord. I thought she's going to fight the battle. Why do we need to even be there? Why do we need to even be there? There is wonderful to get strength from the Lord. It's wonderful to get our wisdom from the Lord of what to do. It's wonderful to see the favor of the Lord. He says, I'm the one that's going to do the work. I'm the one that's blessing you. I'm the one... But there's times that we have to do our part. We have to trust the Lord and walk in what He told us to do. So they wouldn't have seen the victory if they hadn't went out to battle. They still had to go out to battle. But what's even crazier is they put the choir in front of the battle. They're praising about God's holiness. Here they're coming with all this machinery of war. And they're coming with their chariots. And they're coming with their horses. And they're coming with their bows. And they're coming with their spears. And they're coming against them ready to annihilate them. And they're like the sand coming toward them. There's so many of them. And as they're coming, they have to trust and do what God told them to do. And the beautiful part was, and it says, I think in that next verse, I didn't put it in here. The next verse, it says, when they began to worship the Lord. When they began to worship the Lord, the Lord sent ambushments. One of the three armies turned on the other one. And before it was over with, they're all fighting each other to where not one single person was left. What happened? They, God fought the battle. But it took them following his command and doing what he told them and for them to put their trust and say, Lord, we're going to sing and worship you because if you don't come through, we're done. And they put their trust in him and they came before him. So God gives us his favor. You know what else he gives us? The Lord will turn your situation. He will give you his victory. He's the one that wins the victories we just read in verse 16 and 17. And how do we get hit? How is his victory so powerful? It's because he's the one fighting the battle. Verse 16 and 17 says, and when... And this is after they've got this Egyptian, and he is leading them down. And when they, and when he had brought him down, behold, he sees these Amalekites. They were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines. 
and out of the land of Judah. Listen, as I just read it, I was just thinking about how the enemy's dancing and excited about the great victory they won. I, I just hit just my mind flashed back right after Calvary. The Lord had already said it's finished. And he died. And he took his last breath. All of a sudden, I can tell you, the enemies of God, Satan, and his demonic forces were just roaring. I could see them. I can see all of the demonic forces in hell just rejoicing. We've won the war. We've won the battle. We are victorious. We did it. We killed him. It's all done. And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of them rejoicing, they're rejoicing a little too early because all of a sudden, standing there is the Son of God Himself, victorious who took away the keys of death and hell and the grave and was victorious over Satan. Satan had fell right into his plan. God was uncontrolled the entire time. And just like that, right here, we we're going to see that God was in control the whole time. They're rejoicing a little bit too early because little do they know there's just 400 men. That's all they are. There's just 400 of them. But God's the one's leading the way. We see in verse 17, and it says that when he's seen them, it says, and David smote them. From the twilight, right before it got dark, even into the evening of the next day. For it to, there were so many of these. For 24 hours, they just kept wiping them out. They just kept nailing them. They kept trying to fight them. And these guys at first was probably laughing. Is that all you've got? You little group of men think you're going to take us thousands and thousands and thousands? You think you're going to take us on? And all of a sudden, they start mowing them down. And it was unbelievable to where they started getting fearful. And they're all coming together and they're fighting with all their might. And it takes 24 hours just to get through the crowd. But when it's over with, God, get, listen, you got to realize this had to be God fighting the battle because not only had he showed his favor and brought them to him, not only had they not killed everybody, but we see that they were already three days marching back to Ziklag. They had wept until they had no strength. They had came to the brook where 200 of them didn't even have enough strength to get across. They had then proceeded through to find the enemy. And now they had been fighting an enemy who had time to rest for 24 hours and they were still mowing them down until the last one dropped. And we see that there was only, I love that part uh, that talks we're going to look at in a minute that talks about that there was only 400 that got away, the young men that got on camels. Well, there was 400 of them and they were said only 400 got away, and they're the ones that got on camels before at the beginning of the battle. So we can see that God is able to bring victory to those who trust in Him because He's the one that gives the victory. He's the one that gives the victory. He's the one that gives the victory. But you know what? Sometimes we walk away from the victory that God has for us. God, there's, there's victories in your life, and there's some in my life that I can be probably grieved about because that I know that I walked away from some of the good things of God because He was ready to work, and I got too fearful. I, I, remember, I was just thinking about in Scripture really quickly. You, Moses and, and the children of Israel is going across, and, and they're, they're right at getting ready to go into Canaan, and they're getting ready to see the victory that God has for them, and God was prepared to give it to them right then. They didn't have to go 40 more years in that wilderness. They could have been there in two weeks, they say. Two weeks. And the victory was theirs. And they sent spies in to spy the land, which was common practice. And they go in at 12 spies. And 10 comes back. No, 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 no. You don't have any idea what we're dealing with. We can't do it. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, said, oh, we can do it. God's able to do anything. Oh, let me tell you what the spoil's going to be. They're excited about it. But because of that doubt, they walked away from the very victory that they had. That whole generation had to die in the wilderness. They never saw the victory that God had for them because they doubted Him. 
They didn't put their trust. They were looking at their own strength. We need to realize it's his victory. It's not ours. It's his strength. It's not ours. And finally today, we see that God is able to reveal that he's a God of restoration when we rely on his strength. We rely on his direction. We rely on his favor. We rely on his victory. And finally, we rely on his restoration. It's going to be him that promotes us. It's going to be him that brings us out. And when he does, we're going to see that he was in charge the entire time. We see in verse 18 and and, and, and 19 that when God lifts up your head, No one can do anything about it. It says, and David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither great or small or great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoiled nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. Not a single person. We see that God is able to show himself and that God was in charge and God was working the whole time. Not one person was killed during the raid. Not one thing that had been stolen was not uh, not recovered. They recovered not only what they had lost, but when they came back, they had every possession that the Amalekites had, even what they stole from the Philistines. They had all that, everything that they had. They come back with so much stuff they didn't know how they were going to carry it back. They had so much stuff that David drove this great, uh, massive uh, herds before him. And, and the people said, that's David's loot. And David didn't keep it. Of course, he took care of the 200. He made a new thing. They had so much stuff. They got on the other side. Some of those evil men, those 400, said to these guys, these 200 didn't go. They didn't do anything. They don't get it. No, no, no. He said, no. They, did. they stayed and took care of our stuff. And he made a decree from that point forward that the ones that stays and protects the stuff, they get the same percentage as everybody else. They gave them blessings. And he says, look what God has done for you. How can we do this evil and not take care of this? when God's given you everything you lost and he's given you so much more and we see that the direct hand of God David started sending presents gifts to the cities that had helped him in the last several years that had been good to them and he sent them and sent a message that says this is what God does to the enemies of his people and he sends them gifts and so forth and so they sit there and they're sitting there and back they come back to Ziglag and they're saying well the only thing we lost is one thing Ziglag but we got our families. We got all of our children. And they've got their children around. They've got their hands around. They're hugging their wife. they got all of their possessions back. And they're, and they're a little sad they've lost Ziglag. But what they don't know is that in just a few verses, Saul's dead. Saul's dead. He didn't fight in the battle. But Saul's dead. And then Judah sends the word for David. And he comes to them. And what do they do? They raise him up to king. And they said, you don't need Ziglag anymore, David. You don't even need Ziglag. Why? You're going to get to stay in the palace. You're moving from the crooked path to the palace. And God was saying, I knew what I was doing. You don't need it. I'm getting rid of Ziglag because you don't need it anymore. I'm promoting you to the palace. I'm giving you more blessings. So you retain not only everything, you come back with more blessing than you lost. I'm exalting you to the very promise, the very thing I promised you 15 years ago. It's coming to pass. But only if you trust me in this one last test, only if you don't give up, only if you hang in there, I'm able to exalt you. I'm able to lift you up. God is a God of restoration today in your life, not just in David. God is a God of blessing. God is a God of great victory. And Satan knows it, and he's going to do his best to keep you and I from receiving the promises that God has for us. He sees God's hand on you, and he will do his best to get you to miss out on the best things in your life. Listen, God is a faithful God to restore. He restored Hosea. He restored David. He restored Ruth. 
He restored Job. He restored Joseph. And today He wants to restore you if you've lost anything. He wants to help you. He wants to strengthen you. But will you let God, do you trust Him? Or do we say, but that's not me. No, that's what the enemy wants you to believe. God wants to restore even you. He wants to take something to you that looks like a curse. And He wants to turn it into a blessing. How many believes He can do that today? Oh, He can do it. Let's stand this morning. Priscilla would come this morning. Let's bow our heads this morning. Hallelujah. God, I thank you for your mighty power. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you are a God of restoration. You are a mighty God that can do anything, Lord. And it's not something we don't have to understand what you're doing. Because, God, your ways are above our ways. They're higher than our ways. And, God, you take even the worst things in our life that we go through. And somehow you turn them into blessings. Why? Because that's what a great God does. A God of restoration does. You take us and we're even better than before. God, when you work and when you move. And God, I know there's some things that some people here this morning is no doubt went through. And some could be going through things even now. They don't understand, Lord. They don't understand what you're doing. But God, I know that you can give them faith. If, Lord, you promised you're going to work everything out for good, Lord, if they'll just keep their faith in you, keep their strength from you, Lord, they'll find your favor, they'll find victory, and, Lord, you'll lift them up. And, Lord, they'll be able to see that, Lord, you'll restore them, and you'll do mighty things. Lord, even in the land of the living, God, you're going to bless your people if we'll just trust you and keep our confidence in you. Thank you for that truth and that promise that you're still that same God. You're still that faithful God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you just bow your head for just a moment. This morning, I just want to make sure. This morning, is anybody in here this morning? Just this, You don't even know what I'm talking about. You don't, you're not really serving God. And, and you want God to, to work. And you want God to have His way in your life. And you feel Him dealing with your heart. No one's looking but me. If you would just raise your hand and say, pray for me this morning. Pray for me that the Lord would have His way in my life, in my heart, that He would save me. This morning, I don't know. I just want to just give that opportunity that the Lord would have His way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You also might be in this service this morning. You may say, look, nobody else may know this, but my heart, I need to see this God of restoration. There's some brokenness inside of me. There's some things in my heart and life I've been trusting God. And it seems like I just seems like I know He wanted to do some things. I know God's given me some promises, but I haven't been able to see them yet. And I know God wants to do some things, but I want to trust Him. Will you pray for me that God will be a God of restoration in my life this morning? Anybody this morning, raise your hand. Pray for me. I want God God to restore. I want God to work. I want God. I see that. Anybody else this morning, I need God to move. I want God to have His way. I want God to restore and strengthen me. Hallelujah. The first step. Yes, those hands. That's the first step is you've got to admit that you need God's help. It's those that call out on the Lord. Those that run to Him for strength. It's those that run to Him for His help. Yes. That we find strength and help from the Lord. He wants us to say, here I am, Lord. Here I am as that blind man. Last week, I run to Him. Or the week before, we run to Him. And He comes and He moves upon us. Why? Because we call out on Him. Because we're hungry for Him. This morning, if Priscilla would play, this altar is open. And if you, now I, you, you can come and stand in your own little place and you can come and we'll pray for you this morning. This altar is open for anyone who will come and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. I want you to move. I, here I am, Lord. I want you to bless my life, God. I want you to have your way in my life, Lord. And you can turn things that doesn't even seem, Lord, like they're a blessing. They seem like a curse. But God, you can do the miraculous in my life. And here I am trusting in you.